Blessed Charles de Facold once said, It is not necessary to teach others, to cure them, or to improve them. It is only necessary to live among them, sharing the human condition, and being present to them in love. Welcome to the 38th episode of St. Diffness Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because the best thing we can do for others is not to cure them, not to improve them, but to live among them. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, the thing that's got me the most worried during this shelter-in-place other than the actual virus is our slow, degrading work-life balance. I see it with my kids wanting to hop on their school-provided Chromebooks and check for updates before the clock strikes 7 a.m. and throughout the day and before bed. And I see it with myself keeping my work phone out all the way until bedtime when I used to be in the habit of tossing it in my work bag and not looking at it from the moment I walked in the door until the next morning. While many of us are privileged to do at least some of our work from home, the problems with work and home being the same place uh, uh, pop up pretty quickly. And the idea that this virus may be indirectly leading to our children forgetting about the importance of that balance is something that I'm really anxious about. But what can we do? Our kids' schools still expect us to keep up the distance learning and seemingly want us to respond the instant they post something. And our jobs are pushing for more and more productivity, more of a lifestyle of being logged in all the time. We have to push back. We have to double down on our efforts to enforce boundaries for ourselves and to help our children create boundaries around their at-home schoolwork and to understand the benefit of having those boundaries. If I learn anything out of this whole quarantine thing, I hope it's the value of quality time with my family, the value of that personal experience, the value of personal touch that shows love, hugs, cuddles, just being in each other's presence, and not that I can work as hard as I want whether I'm at home or at the office. I really think my kids' future understanding of the need for a healthy work-life balance depends on it. On to the next topic, Selena Gomez is a popular singer, songwriter, actress who got her start on Barney and Friends and as of 2017 has gone on to sell 7 million albums and 22 million singles worldwide. So that should tell you just how big of a deal it is that she recently shared that she's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She shared this news in a video discussion with Miley Cyrus. She shared, recently I went to one of the best mental hospitals in America, McLean Hospital. I discussed that after years of going through a lot of different things, I realized I was bipolar. And so when I got to know more information, it actually helped me. It doesn't scare me once I know it. And I think people get scared of that, right? When I was younger, I was scared of thunderstorms and my mom bought me all these different books on thunderstorms. She said, the more that you educate yourself on this, the more that you're not going to be afraid. And it completely worked. I just want to take a moment to give space for Selena's comments here and to appreciate her for opening up and sharing this deeply personal stuff about her life. It's most definitely going to open doors for other people, help them feel more understood, and push people to be more open to reaching out for help. And that's all so good and so important. This is such a blessing. And I pray that she continues to have support around her. And let's just all stop and pray that every single person living with bipolar disorder can have the supportive community around them that we all need to live a life of love, 
joy, and happiness. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Requests, and today I'm here to introduce you to blessed Chiara Badano. Born in 1971 in Sassello, Italy, Chiara was considered by her parents to be their greatest blessing as they waited and prayed for 11 years before she finally came. Chiara was only nine years old when she encountered the Focolare movement, a group that had a profound impact on her spirituality. The group focused on the image of the forsaken Christ as a way to make it through difficult times. And of the group, Chiara would later write, I discovered that Jesus forsaken is the key to unity with God, and I want to choose him as my only spouse. I want to be ready to welcome him when he comes to prefer him above all else. Chiara failed her first year of high school and was often teased for her strong beliefs. Then in the summer of 1988, she felt a pain in her shoulder while playing tennis. She initially ignored it, but eventually went to the doctor and found out she suffered from a rare form of bone cancer. Despite this form of cancer being intensely painful, she refused pain meds, saying, It reduces my lucidity, and there's only one thing I can do now to offer my suffering to Jesus because I want to share as much as possible in his sufferings on the cross. During her stays in the hospital, she would take the time to go on walks with another patient who was struggling with depression. To help prepare for her parents for life after she died, Kiara made them dinner reservations for Valentine's Day after they refused to leave her bedside. Of her death, she told her mother, when, uh, when you're getting me ready, Mom, you have to keep saying to yourself, Kiara Luce is now seeing Jesus. She died on October 7th, 1990, just 18 years old. Her final words were, Bye, Mom. Be happy, because I am. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. God, our Father, source of all good, I thank you for loving us immensely to the point of giving us the gift of your Son. Help me, please, to love you back with all my strength, obeying you and your will, and humbly accepting the provisions of your providence according to the example of Blessed Chiara. If you want it, Jesus, so do I. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. How do you navigate the practice of fasting when recovering from an eating disorder? This is such an important topic and one we've touched on in the past way back in episode two, but it's most definitely due for a rehash. Let's start by praying for Anonymous and everyone living with an active eating disorder or living in recovery from an eating disorder that they may have the help around them to flourish and find peace and comfort in their hearts. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come. Before thee I stand sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. I want to state this as clearly as possible. If you have experienced an eating disorder in your life, the church does not expect you to fast from food on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. 
God doesn't want our spirituality to feed into our mental and emotional struggles. While many great saints and holy heroes we admire have been called to fasting as a form of penance and growing in holiness, we aren't all called to that, and God can give us grace in other ways if fasting isn't healthy for us. It's so important to know that we can fast in other ways on days when the church requires fasting. We can fast from social media, fast from listening to the radio on the commute, fast from complaining, fast from the internet, fast from something that is really causing us to be separated from the Lord and something we can use to unite our sacrifice to the Lord's. That's the key here. We have to take an honest look at our lives and see what we can cut out so that we can go grow closer to Christ and fast from that. I want to say one last thing regarding eating disorders here that I think doesn't get said enough. Recovery from an eating disorder is really, really hard. There's hope, of course. There always is. But what I mean is food is a necessity for our bodies. Food is everywhere. It can sometimes feel like our entire society is based on eating together. And that makes a recovery from a condition like this all the more difficult than the ones where we can cut something completely out of our lives. So please know, if you've ever experienced an eating disorder, I'm praying for you and I'll never stop. Mora is up next. My question relates to the phrase, the new normal floating around in reference to our current situation. To me, this seems to invalidate natural feelings of anxiety during this time. Am I crazy to think that? What's a better way to, uh, a better frame of mind for those with anxiety about the reality of our current unprecedented situation? Thank you, Maura, for this one. Let's all stop what we're doing and pray for all of us struggling with anxiety during this time, for all those who have died and the families whose normal lives have been completely uprooted. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. I really don't like the term new normal and totally agree that it invalidates the anxiety we're all going through as if we should just get used to it instead of actively working to cope in a healthier manner. I think a better way of looking at it is that we've been given an opportunity for all of us to share our feelings, a time in our lives where the stigma around anxiety and depression and loneliness has reduced and we can all talk about it out in the open and hopefully it'll lead to more open discussions and support moving forward. Calling what we're all feeling and going through the new normal is just another way of refusing to talk about our mental health, the need for all of us to have healthy coping skills, and the importance of trying our best to stay connected to our support and communities during this time. It's another attempt to sweep mental health under the carpet and pretend like everything is fine. It isn't. And I sincerely hope that we take this opportunity to talk about our feelings, talk about how we're not doing okay, and talk about it all for the purpose of coming together and supporting each other. Anonymous wraps us up. My family is going through an experience of trauma because my husband had a manic break in front of the kids and the police had to handcuff them in their bedroom, handcuff him in their bedroom. He is now in inpatient care. I'm making a plan for therapy for everyone. Can you give me pointers about what kind of therapy we are going to need? And prayers are most appreciated. He's a teacher and trying to move education online literally broke him. Please, Please join me in praying for Anonymous, her husband, her entire family, and everyone who has experienced the difficulty of being placed on an involuntary psychiatric hold for peace for this family and peace for everyone in a similar situation. 
Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. My heart goes out to Anonymous, her husband, her children, and everyone involved in this situation. I work with individuals in this situation every day and have been involved in helping people get to the hospital for mental health treatment involuntarily many, many times. And it's really a difficult experience for everyone involved. I sincerely pray that the brief inpatient uh, treatment will be helpful for your husband and give your family time to recover and prepare to move forward through this as a family. It's really so important. In terms of your direct question, therapy for yourself and perhaps couples therapy when your husband is feeling better and therapy for your children is a great idea. It's so important to have space to work through all the feelings that you're all surely experiencing. It's so important to have that support and remember that starting therapy for you or your kids doesn't mean that you're going to be going into therapy forever. The goal will be to create a safe space within the family to share our feelings and emotions and learning the skills to communicate and process those emotions internally in a healthy and productive way. Next, it's a really good idea to look up your local NAMI group, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and get involved with them as a way of connecting with other families who are working through a similar journey and can help by giving practical tips and just being able to listen and understand. Two points I'd like to make here about bipolar disorder and how it relates to moving forward as a family. First, bipolar disorder leads people to engage in behaviors they most certainly wouldn't choose to engage in if they weren't struggling through the ups and downs of major depression and mania. And I say that because one of the keys to maintaining a good perspective in the midst of bipolar disorder is differentiating between the person, your husband, and the disorder. The behaviors that make the relationship difficult, the things that are said that are hurtful, or perhaps bizarre behavior that makes you worried, those are all a result of the illness and I think it's so vitally important to remember that. Second, and you might already know this, bipolar disorder is one of the mental health issues that in all honesty has a really good prognosis. There are so many people out there with bipolar disorder who are able to live healthy and happy lives. The thing is, it's important for the individual to stay on their medication once they find meds that help them. The main concern here is that people start to feel better and then stop their medication because they feel like they don't need the meds anymore. But then we might see a couple of nights of bad sleep, some increase in racing thoughts, and the next thing we know, we're back in a difficult place again. So it's really important to work hard to instill the idea that medication is needed even when we're feeling better to help reduce the chances of another situation popping up in the future. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you'd like. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Infinite.